الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respect to listeners as announced before we've gathered here for a gathering focusing on a spiritual topic and today's discussion will be about pride and arrogance inshallah this will be part of a series of talks on the diseases of the heart allah and his rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam have taught us about health and the islamic approach to health is a holistic one it doesn't just focus on the body it caters for the body and the mind and the heart and soul and spirit in this day and age especially and throughout history but more so in this day and age there's a great emphasis and almost obsession and to some degree rightfully so with one's physical health billions are spent by virtually every country on the nation's health where there is public health funding and where there is private health funding most people's salaries and life savings soon disappear in private medical health and treatment in fact in a private individual's life and in the nation's public life all over the world across the globe health expenditure will be the foremost expenditure and expense it will cover the greatest part and the lion's share of an individual's private budget or a national budget every year at the beginning of the new year gyms see a sudden rise in subscriptions 
Because everyone makes a New Year's resolution to be healthy, to be fit, to eat healthily, to go on a diet, to go to the gym and keep fit. And the number of articles and books and journals and publications giving conflicting advice on health and diet, or on diet, are so numerous that they are confounding and confusing. So to some degree, this obsession with health is undoubtedly justified. However, it's very narrow, it's very restricted. It concerns us, well, we concern ourselves only with the physical health of the body. But a holistic approach to health, which now some people are recognising. That's why there's a greater interest in Eastern philosophy, in spiritual matters, in things such as Zen and Confucianism and Buddhism, and even in Hinduism. Many of the rich and powerful, and especially the celebrities, after having gained and mastered the most of what the rest of the population aspires to, name, fame, glitz, glamour, glory, they are still searching for something. And despite being the cultural elite of the West... And despite being the glamorous elite of the West, of the West, in terms of wealth, name, fame, prestige, with people worshipping them, adoring them, they are still searching for something and they turn to the East. Many turn to Buddhism, others turn to other Eastern philosophies, even Hinduism in order to somehow find what they are seeking, which they haven't been able to discover yet in materialism. So a holistic approach to health, which some people are now recognising, is one which takes into account the body, the mind, and the soul and spirit. And Allah and his Rasul have taught us that from the very beginning. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَإِنَّ لِجَسَدِكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقَّ And indeed your body has a right over you. But before he said that, he also said, وَإِنَّ لِرَبِّكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقَّ And indeed your Lord has a right over you. And that's before the body. And it's not just the body which has a right over us. Our ruh, our spirit, which is the essence of our life, that has a right over us. So, it's important that we learn about the sins and the diseases of the heart and the spirit. And we fear them, and we work to eradicate them from our character, and to flee from them and remove them from ourselves as much as we fear and fight physical ailments and diseases, and also physical 
sins of the flesh. We fear and we flee from and we frown upon sins of the flesh such as theft, murder, adultery, physical assault. Because these are very prominent, very conspicuous, very much in your face. They lead to shame and embarrassment, even for those who are guilty of them. These aren't just frowned upon by others, but maybe not in all cases, but in many cases, those who indulge in the sins of the flesh during, or especially after, many sink into low depths of self-hate, of self-doubt, of regret, of shame and embarrassment. But when it comes to the sins of the heart, the diseases of the heart, they are so subtle, so inconspicuous, that we neither detect them, let alone fear them or fight them. And they are probably even more destructive than the sins of the flesh. So inshallah, over the next few months, I will be focusing on some of the sins of the heart, the diseases of the heart. And today, let's speak of pride and arrogance. Kibr, takabbur. There are various names, urjb, kibr, takabbur, istikbar. They are synonymous, but they are subtle differences. Fakhr, tafakhr. And I'll explain all of them. So today let me focus on pride and arrogance. In fact, there's a subtle difference between pride and arrogance too. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us and blessed us with many things. With many favors. Food, drink, life itself, sustenance. And wealth and provisions. And sometimes we see these wealth and provisions on us, around us. And we are happy with them. We are content with them. We are pleased with them. But sometimes this goes a bit further. And these favours and blessings of Allah lead us, incite us, to be proud. And not proud in the sense of being content and happy and grateful to Allah, but proud in the sense of being arrogant, holding others in contempt, believing ourselves to be superior and better in any way. This is what's forbidden. And this is very beautifully described in a hadith related by Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, in his sahih. And by others. From Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu He says the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. لا يدخل الجنة من كان في قلبه مثقال ذرة من كبر. قال الرجل. إن الرجل يحب أن يكون ثوبه حسنا. ونعده حسنا. قال. إن الله جميل يحب الجمال. 
الكبر بطر الحق وغمط الناس أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that person in whose heart there is a particle's weight of arrogance of pride he will never enter Jannah so a man who was present said O Messenger of Allah a man wishes to see his clothes being good his shoes being good his sandals being good so the Prophet understood what he was trying to say and his reply was Allah is beautiful he loves beauty rather kibr pride, arrogance is batarul haq the denial and the defiance of truth the denial of truth and defiance against the truth nas meaning holding others in contempt in Arabic similar words have similar meanings and ghamt also means ghams which means to reduce someone's worth and standing so ghamtun nas meaning holding others in contempt considering them considering them to be inferior in any way whatsoever this is the pride this is the arrogance this is the kibr which allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbids and condemns in the strongest terms so if a person is proud in the sense that they are happy and content but they are also grateful to Allah and they do not consider anyone else to be inferior like a father or a mother a parent who is proud of his or her children a child succeeds a child performs well does well and a, fa- and a father or a mother feel pride in their hearts that pride is one of joy happiness contentment and also gratitude to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there is nothing wrong in that if allah has blessed someone with wealth and they make a display of that wealth not arrogantly and not in self conceit but rather allah has given them wealth so they use it so allah has provided someone with wealth and they wear good clothes they make themselves presentable and appear pleasant and attractive they groom themselves they look after themselves then as long as there is no self conceit as long as there is no attitude and arrogance and pride and the contempt of others or considering anyone else to be inferior in any way or to regard this as being exclusive to themselves and as long as they are grateful to Allah in all of this there is no harm whatsoever as the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam explains in this hadith of Imam Muslim from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu that there is no harm in his clothes being good his sandals being good and in one narration of this hadith according to other authors including Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad there are more details he even goes on to speak about his hair and other parts of clothing and appearance 
And in some, again, in another narration of this hadith, in fact, in another narration recorded by many ulama, including Imam Hakim and Zal Mustadrak and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually says, Inna Allahu yuhibbu an yara athara ni'matihi ala abdih. Or, Inna Allahu yuhibbu an yara athara ni'matihi ala abdih. That Allah indeed likes, Allah approves of the signs of his blessings and favor to be seen on his servant. So if Allah has blessed someone with wealth, and that is Allah's favor on him, then there is no harm. In fact, Allah wishes for, for his favor to be displayed on his servant. However, all of this must be done without any disregard for another, without any consideration of exclusivity, of feeling exclusive, of superiority, without regarding anyone else as inferior, without any conceit, without any undue pride, without any arrogance, without any contempt. And with total sincerity and humility in the heart, but a display of Allah's favor on the exterior, then there is no harm. Otherwise, and this is why I said it's very subtle, it's, extremely, it's an extremely risky tactic. How does one ensure that one does not disregard another, hold them in contempt, see oneself as superior. There's a very fine line to be drawn. And sometimes we can be deluded. We, can, we, we may show an attitude of only speaking of Allah's favor, but in reality, in heart, we are arrogant and proud. And there's a, well, there's a story mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf of the Sahib al-Jannatayn, of the man with two great gardens, which displays us beautifully. Sometimes we, we like to mask our pride and our conceit with words such as Alhamdulillah and MashaAllah and Allah has given me this and Allah has blessed me in this way. Allah told Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ And as for the favor of your Lord, announce it, speak thereof. And the ulama have mentioned that if someone speaks of the favors of Allah on themselves, then there is no harm in this, as long as it is being done sincerely and with actual humility. Otherwise, as I said, it's a very fine line. One, can easily, one could easily stray into boastfulness and arrogance. And that's part of our human nature. That's what we do. We love to boast. We love to see ourselves as better than someone else. So what happened in that story? Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثْلَ الرَّجَلَيْنِ جَعَلْنَا لِأَحْدِهِمَا جَنَّتَيْنِ مِنْ عَعْنَابِ And the story continues. That... strike for them the parable of the two men. One of them, we had granted him two great gardens, two great vineyards of vines. 
and Lot surrounded these gardens with other palm groves. And in between there were other fields and tith. And there were also streams and rivers. So huge properties, huge estates, gardens, orchards, vineyards, palm groves. And the, they were so fertile that they would give a double the produce. And he had great fruit, great produce. And he was happy and proud. So, and there was another poor man. So he was one of them. The other was poor. So he took him on the tour of his estates and his lands. And he was saying, look at what I have. But he became boastful. He became arrogant. And he said, He said to the poor one, I am mightier than you in numbers. And I'm greater than you in wealth. And then the story continues. I'll return to this story later. But just as a simple reference, in a way he even spoke about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He spoke about his creator in that story. But that was part of his delusion. He said, if I am returned to my Lord, then Allah will bless me with more there than he has blessed me with here. So he spoke in a very arrogant and delusional manner, but he still mentioned the name of Allah. So sometimes we can boast to each other, and yet we mask it, we cover it with the name of Allah, with, as though we are trying to say, this is a favor of Allah on me, this is Allah's blessing on me. But in reality, we are simply boasting. We boast all the time, it's part of our nature. Allah testifies that the whole of our life on earth is about mutual boasting and one-upmanship. Alhaqum al-takathur hatta zurtum al-maqabir. One-upmanship has distracted you. And that's the meaning of alhaqum al-takathur. One-upmanship, increasing, but not just increasing. Increasing with a specific view of beating the other, of competing with the other, one-upmanship. Getting one over the other. So, al-hakum al-takathur, takathur, one-upmanship has distracted you. Hatta zurtum al-maqabir, until you visit the graves. Meaning, this will remain your condition. Until you visit the graves, the whole of life is about boasting and one-upmanship. And in Surah Al-Hadid, Allah mentions that in even more detail. Allah says, Know that the worldly life is only play. وله distraction وزينة and a beauty meaning an external beauty an ornamentation وتفاخر بينكم and mutual boasting between yourselves وتكاثر في الأموال والأولاد 
and one-upmanship in wealth and in children. That's the reality of our worldly life. That's all we do. We're always competing with one another in wealth, in children. Before, people used to compete with one another in children. The more sons, the more proud a father felt. And I've covered this before. Now we may not be boastful of numbers. Not of the quantity of children, but certainly of the quality of children. My son, my daughter has achieved this. My son, my daughter has this career, has this job, earned so much, is of this position. It doesn't change. Whether it's to do with quantity of children or the quality of the children, our life is all about boasting to one another. And one-upmanship, beating the other. My car should be better than the others. My house should be better than the others. My clothing should be better than the others. It's all about intention. If a person wears good clothes, drives a good car, has good sandals, shoes, grooms himself or herself well, but it's done sincerely, with no arrogance, no undue pride, with no contempt of someone else, with no feeling of exclusivity, with no conceit, and with a genuine gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that's fine. But if there is any intention of beating the other, competing with the other, outdoing the other, surpassing the other, showing oneself, feeling oneself to be superior than the other, then that's the haram kibr. That's the haram fakhr. That's the haram and forbidden boastfulness, arrogance, conceit and pride, which Allah condemns throughout the Qur'an. And the Prophet wasallam has condemned in many ahadith. It's evil. We've all heard of that famous hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an. Rated by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Al-Muslim akhul Muslim. La yadhlimuhu wa la yuslimuhu. The Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. A Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. He does not suppress him, nor does he surrender him. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in one narration of Sahih Muslim in this hadith, he also adds, وَلَا Meaning he does not hold him in contempt. He does not disregard him. And then in a continuation of that same hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, it is sufficient for it is sufficient evil for a Muslim to hold his fellow Muslim brother in contempt. It's evil to hold another in contempt. Arrogance is a deadly disease. And one of the meanings of kibr is that a person feels senses, believes, perceives, or speaks about something in themselves which they don't possess. There's an exaggerated feeling of greatness. A person can be great, but if someone regards themselves as greater than they really are, that's kibra, that's pride and arrogance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns that in the severest of terms. There are many reasons for Allah Azza wa Jal condemning that. 
One of them is to do with the person's nature. Why do we feel arrogant? Why do we feel proud? It's to do with our spirits. A person, the soul, the spirit has many desires. Or, or shall we say, we as human beings were made up of the spirit and the flesh. Now, our flesh, our body, desires lowly bestial things. Food, drink, and bestial enjoyment. That's part of our animal nature. But these are transient passing things. How often, how regularly, how frequently, and how much can one person eat? It doesn't happen all the time. Same with other bodily pleasures. But we are also made up of the mind. And most importantly, we are made up of the spirits. The rule, the spirits, doesn't care. Our mind relishes enjoyment, entertainment, mental stimulation. So we will eat and drink and enjoy ourselves for the pleasure of our body. Then, for the pleasure and the gratification of the mind, we will engage in reading, learning, entertainment, etc. But what about the spirit? What does the spirit want? What does the soul want? Because the soul has a celestial connection, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra, وَيَسَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ قُلِ الرُّوحِ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي And they ask you about the ruh, the spirit, the soul. Say that the ruh is from the matter of my Lord, it's from the affair of my Lord. Allah knows best. And it has a celestial connection because Allah Azzawajal says, فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ When Allah created man, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنِّي خَالِقٌ بَشْرًا مِنْ طِينٍ I'm about to create man from clay. That's just his body. فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ Then when I have molded him and fashioned him, وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي And I have blown into him of my spirit, then you fall prostrate before him. So when I have blown into him of my spirits, not the spirit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, but rather a spirit connected to Allah, aligned with Allah, related to Allah. That's why Allah mentions it as my spirits. Not his spirits, but it's been ascribed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it has a celestial connection. That spirit, which resides in every one of us, that soul, is very unique. It's very difficult to understand. But the enjoyment of the ruh, of the soul, the desire of the soul, is not food and drink. It's not entertainment or mental stimulation. The desire of the soul, because it has a celestial connection, 
is to be made a god. Is to be worshipped. That's what the soul wants. The soul is not happy. It's not concerned with, it's not content with food and drink or bestial pleasures. It's not bothered about mental stimulation or entertainment. No. The soul's desire is to be worshipped. That's what the ruh wants. The body wants food and drink. The mind wants stimulation and entertainment. The soul has no concern for these things. The soul wishes to be worshipped, to be adored, to be flattered. That's the ego. To be adulated, to be elevated, to be looked up to, to be feared, to be loved in equal measure. It wants to be God. Every, every one of us has a Pharaoh inside us. That soul. Everybody, every one of us wants to be like Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, al-a'la. I am your loftiest Lord. I am your highest Lord. There is a part of every one of us which wants to be God. To be worshipped, to be loved, to be feared in equal measure. And that's the cause and the seed of our arrogance. We want others to be beneath us, to be inferior to us. We want to be superior to everything and everyone else. And not only that, we want them to recognize our elevation, our superiority, our greatness. We want everyone else to be, to acknowledge that we are better than them. The Pharaoh part in every one of us, that soul, wishes to actually enslave others. Physically if possible, but even if physically it's not possible, then mentally and emotionally. We want to capture other people's minds and hearts and enslave them to ourselves. And if we can capture their minds, and if we can enslave their hearts, then their wealth and their provisions and their properties are ours anyway. If we can lay a claim on their hearts and their minds, then they belong to us, and all that belongs to them, we think, belongs to us. This is why, this is the seed of arrogance. To feel better, superior than the other. To want to be better and superior than the other. And that's exactly what Iblis said. We may think that, oh, I don't wish to be God. I don't want, any, I don't want anybody else to worship me. Or to serve me. Or to be servile before me. But that's the height of arrogance. But the beginning of arrogance is when a person simply thinks, feels, or says that I am better than him in any way. And that's exactly what Iblis did. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِمَلَائِكَةِ اشْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ أَبَا وَاسْتَكْبَرَ وَكَانَ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ And we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. All of them prostrated except Iblis. He refused, he was arrogant, استكبر, and he became of the unbelievers. But what led him to becoming 
a rebel against Allah? What led him to rebel against Allah's command? He refused, yes. But what led him to refuse? His first sin, the first sin ever committed, wasn't unbelief. The first sin ever committed wasn't a refusal to prostrate. The first sin ever committed in heaven or earth was not to disobey Allah's command. That was the result. That was the manifestation. That was later. The first sin that was committed was Iblis's belief or thought that I am better than Adam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him. Allah says, لم يكن من الساجدين. He wasn't one of those who prostrated. Allah said to him, what prevented you from prostrating when I said to you prostrate? Qal, meaning shaitan, replied, min. I am better than him. You created me from the fire and you created him from clay. So the fact that I am from fire and he is from clay makes me better than him. Just because of that one thought, he refused to prostrate. He rebelled against Allah. He was cursed by Allah, banished forever. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Remove yourself, be banished. Allah said, it is not possible for you. It is not permissible for you. And that you are arrogant in the heavens. Then Allah told him that indeed you are minasagirin from the lowly ones. Iblis tried to make himself superior. Allah banished him, cursed him for eternity, and Allah reduced him to the lowest of the low. Allah elevates those who humble themselves. And Allah lowers and bases and humiliates those who try to elevate themselves. That's the law of Allah in the heavens and on earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, تِلْكَ الدَّارُ الْآخِرَةِ نَجْعَلُهَا لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُرِيدُونَ عُلُوبًا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِسَادًا وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ This abode of the hereafter, we have made it for those who do not seek loftiness or corruption on earth. And the beautiful consequence, the beautiful result, the beautiful outcome and aftermath is for the people of taqwa. So Allah says, anyone who desires a good position in the hereafter, they need to be humble. For the hereafter we have reserved for those who do not seek uluwan fil ard, high-handedness or loftiness on earth. Anyone who wishes to be high, Allah will lower him. And anyone who is humble, as the Prophet says, Man whoever is humble for the sake of Allah, Allah will elevate him. That's the rule of Allah. That's exactly what he did to Iblis. All Iblis did before he rebelled, before he refused Allah's command, before he disobeyed Allah, before he was stiff necked. His first sin was the thought that I am better than him. 
This is why arrogance isn't just about the feeling of being worshipped. That's a height of arrogance. Well before that, the beginning, the seed of that arrogance is to simply think I am better than him. That's why in the Hadith Muslim, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, it is sufficient evil for a Muslim that he holds his fellow Muslim in contempt. If anyone thinks I am better than him, whether in appearance, wealth, provisions, clothes, riches, achievement, intelligence, in absolutely anything, that is arrogance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates those who are arrogant and proud in any way. And there's a reason for that. As I said, one of the reasons why arrogance is condemned is because the soul wishes to be worshipped. That's why it's arrogant. In fact, it wishes to challenge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his divinity. It wishes to transfer people and move them and shift them. In fact, divert them from the worship of Allah to the worship of one's nafs. That's why Allah says in a verse of the Qur'an, it is not possible, it is not lawful for any human being that Allah gives them a book and profited and wisdom. Then they say to the people, Become my servants. Besides Allah. The Anbiya alayhim would never do this. So if the Anbiya alayhim refused to be arrogant in any way, and they refused to have people worshipping them at the expense of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then how is it possible for the others? Non-prophets and non-messengers. For non-angels, just as Allah says, لَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفَ الْمَسِيحُ أَنْ يَكُونَ عَبْدًا لِلَّهِ وَلَا الْمَلَائِكَةُ الْمُقَرَّبُونَ It is Masih, the Messiah, Jesus, Isa ibn Maryam alayhim salam The Messiah will never disdain, will never turn up his nose at being a servant of Allah, a slave of Allah, and neither will the closest angels. And then Allah says, وَمَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفْ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيَسْتَكْبِرْ فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا And whoever is disdainful, whoever turns up his nose, and is arrogant of the worship of Allah, and not just the worship in terms of salah and prayer, or pilgrimage and charity, but of the service of Allah, of becoming a servant of Allah, then what will happen? فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا then Allah will amass and assemble the whole of creation by himself. Then what will happen? As for those who have believed and done good deeds, Allah will give them their reward in full. And Allah will increase them of his grace and bounty. Allah says, as for those who were disdainful, who turned up their noses, and who were arrogant, Allah will punish, punish them with severe punishment. And they will not find anyone besides Allah as a guardian, a friend, or an assistant. 
That's what will happen. So the angels and the prophets والسلام, and even someone of the caliber of Isa, the son of Maryam والسلام, who is actually worshipped as a god, who is considered divine, even he, along with all the other messengers and all the, other, all the angels, none of them wish that the creation serves them, worships them, or is enslaved to them. So if the angels don't do that, and the prophets and messengers don't do that, and even someone who, was actually, who is actually worshipped, Isa, the son of Maryam, doesn't do that, doesn't want that, then who are you and me? Who are we? To wish that people worship us, that people look up to us, that people adore us, that people's hearts and minds and their feelings and their emotions are enslaved to us. That we win their adulation, their adoration, their favor, their worship, their admiration. SubhanAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Allah hates those who are arrogant. And in a hadith related by Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi sahih, and by others. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and even Ibn Majah in his sunnah, and this is the wording of Ibn, uh, and Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his, in his musnad, and this is the wording of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his musnad. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, hadith from, is from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah azawajal says, Al-kibriya'u ridai wal-azamatu izari فمن نازعني منهما شيئا منهما فمن نازعني شيئا منهما القيته في جهنم الله سبحانه وتعالى says kibriya pride is my upper garment and greatness عظمه is my lower garment so whoever contests me for anything of these of this I shall fling him into Jahannam and in one narration of Imam Hakim rahmatullahi alayhi in his mustadrak Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah says Kibriya pride is my upper garment greatness is my lower garment and whoever wishes to snatch them off me or contest me for them I will break him Because it's all about divinity. This is what the soul wants. And the soul wishes to be worshipped. Allah says in the Quran, In another verse, Have you seen one who has taken his God, has taken his desire, his soul to be his God? So there is a possibility of the, of the soul being worshipped by oneself or by others. That's what we want. That's what the soul wants. This is why we contest Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We challenge Allah in one of his exclusive attributes. Allah calls himself Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir. In that famous verse at the end of Surah Al-Hashr, 
Allah says, Wallahu الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم Wallahu الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون Allah says, He is Allah. There is no God besides Him. The knower of the unseen and the present, the seen. He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the most gracious, the most merciful. He is Allah, there is no God besides him. Al-Malik, the Sovereign. Al-Quddus, the Holy Sanctified One. As-Salam, the grantor of peace. Al-Mu'min, the grantor of security. Al-Muhaymin, the dominant and prevalent one. Al-Aziz, the Almighty, Al-Jabbar, the Grand and Majestic, the Enslaver, Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir, the Proud. Now how can Allah be Al-Jabbar and Al-Mutakabbir? And what does Al-Jabbar mean? What does Al-Mutakabbir mean? Al-Mutakabbir is related to Kibr, the one who is proud. The one who makes a display of his pride. And the mutakabbir is, as I said earlier, kibr is to regard everyone, to regard others as inferior. And in the case of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he does regard everything else to be inferior. For he is superior in every way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls himself al-mutakabbir. Allah wants us to worship him. Allah demands that we worship him. Allah demands that we praise him. That's why in a hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, there is no one to whom praise is more beloved than Allah. And therefore he has taught us that when we pray to Allah, supplicate to him, make dua, then we begin we preface our supplication with the praise of Allah And since Allah is al-mutakabbir, He rightfully regards everything else as inferior to Himself. He is also al-jabbar. Although the meaning of al-jabbar, the direct meaning, is not the enslaver, I'll explain what it means. Al-jabbar means the grand and the majestic. And the one who wishes to enslave others. That's why a tyrant is called Jabbar. In Arabic, tyrant is known as Jabbar. Why? Not because he is grand or majestic, but because he wishes to enslave others. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is undoubtedly the one who has created the whole of creation and therefore we are in service to him. We are his slaves. So Allah is al-Jabbar. Allah is al-Mutakabbir. And anyone who challenges Allah in his kibr, or in his jabarut, in his greatness, in his majesty, in his grandeur, in his right and ability to enslave others, then he challenges Allah he contests Allah for one of his exclusive attributes.
and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what will he do to such a person? If someone is humble, Allah will elevate them. If someone is proud and arrogant, Allah will humiliate them. And not just humiliate them, in that narration of Imam al-Hakim in his al-Mustadrak, he says, Qasamtu, I will break him. Allah will break him. In the dunya and in the akhirah. Because we are challenging Allah is one of his exclusive attributes. Speaking of Jabbar, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates hadith from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma. And others relate the same hadith. Ibn Majah relates the same hadith in his sunan. And this is the wording of Ibn Majah. Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma says, that I, saw, I heard the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, and this hadith is actually, this was in reference, this hadith is a reference to a verse of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Anbiya in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ نَطْوِ السَّمَاءَ كَطَيِّ السَّجِلِّ لِلْكُتُبِ كَمَا بَدَأْنَا أَوَّلَ خَلْقٍ نُعِيدُهُ وَعْدًا عَلَيْنَا إِنَّا كُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ Allah says, on the day when we shall wrap up, fold up, the sky, like the scribes rolling up of the parchment or the sheet. So just as a scribe rolls up the parchment or the sheet, Allah says on the day when we shall roll up, wrap up the sky, like the scribes rolling up of the sheet. Just as we began creation, we shall return it to its original state. وَعْدًا عَلَيْنَا It is a duty upon us. إِنَّا كُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ It is a promise binding on us. إِنَّا كُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ We will most assuredly do it. So speaking of that, and in another verse of the Qur'an, وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مُطْوِيَّاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. Allah says, and the heavens will be rolled up in the hand of Allah. وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ And the earth, the whole of the earth, will be in the clutch of Allah. On the day of resurrection. And the heavens will be rolled up in his hand. Glorified be Allah, and purified be He of what they associate with Him. Then, so the Prophet keeping those two verses in mind, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma says that I heard Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this was on the member, saying that the heavens will be rolled up in the hand of Allah on the day of resurrection. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, أَنَا الْجَبَّارِ أَيْنَ الْجَبَّارُونَ أَيْنَ الْمُتَكَبِّرُونَ I am the Jabbar. I am the grand, the majestic. أَيْنَ الْجَبَّارُونَ Where are the tyrants? أَيْنَ الْمُتَكَبِّرُونَ Where are the proud and arrogant ones? And Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma says, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was saying this, he motioned with his hands. 
So the Prophet ﷺ said, on the day of resurrection, the heavens shall be wrapped up in the hand of Allah. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he would clench his hand and open it. Clench his fist and open it. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, and he motioned. So because sometimes, imagine when we hear of something great. And when we speak of it, when we relate it, when we quote it, we sway because we are overwhelmed and overcome by the greatness and the majesty of what we are saying, what we are relating. So the Prophet ﷺ did exactly the same. He was speaking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma says that the Prophet, I heard the Messenger of Allah ﷺ say, on the day of resurrection, the heaven shall be wrapped up in the hand of Allah. He will. And then the Prophet ﷺ closed, opened and closed, clenched and opened his fist. Allah will say, Anal Jabbar. I am the Jabbar. Ainal Jabbarun. Where are the tyrants? Ainal Mutakabbirun. Where are the proud and arrogant ones? Arrogant ones. And then the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ, while saying this, he was swaying left and right. And Abdullah ibn Umar says that he was swaying so much to the left and right that I saw the mimbar shaking beneath him and swaying to and fro until I asked myself that is the member actually about to collapse with the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam on it that's how severely he was swaying so the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam while relating this said on the day of judgment Allah will say anal jabbar al jabbarun al mutakabbirun where are the arrogant i am jabbar where are the arrogant ones where are the tyrants and he was swaying while saying this. So whoever is a tyrant, whoever is a jabbar, whoever is arrogant and proud, he challenges Allah. And Allah will take care of him in the dunya and certainly in the akhirah. And in the akhirah, what, what will be his abode? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, ذَلِكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَفْرَحُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَمْرَحُونَ أُدْخُلُوا أَبْوَابَ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا فَبِئْسَ مَثْوَ الْمُتَكَبِّرِينَ Allah will say, this is because you were, you were exultant, you were happy and joyful on earth without right. تَفْرَحُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَمْرَحُونَ Because you were exultant, you used to strut about being proud and arrogant, exulting in what you enjoyed, what you had. So today, enter into the doors of Jahannam. Living therein forever. Evil it is an abode for those who are arrogant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like those who are arrogant in any way. And our arrogance can be concealed in the heart. Sometimes it can be revealed in speech. And it can be revealed in our manner of walking and talking. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should be careful about how we walk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra, وَلَا تَمْشِ فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَحَ إِنَّكَ لَن تَخْرِقَ الْأَرْضَ وَلَن تَبْلُغَ الْجِبَالَ طُولًا Meaning, 
and do not walk on the earth arrogantly, swaggeringly, struttingly. And when a person walks in that manner, stamping their feet with a heavy with a heavy gait, swaying their shoulders, walking with a swagger, head held up high. A person walks proudly. Someone who walks humbly, they don't stamp their feet, they place their feet softly on the ground. Allah says, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَنِ In Surah Al-Furqan, وَعِبَادُ الرَّحْمَنِ الَّذِينَ يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنَا and the true servants of Rahman, the gracious one, those are those who walk upon the earth hona, softly, lightly, humbly. So a person who walks softly and humbly, they don't walk stamping their feet, they walk very softly. But conversely, those who are arrogant, they walk hard, planting their feet on the ground, Stamping their feet. So that's one effect of their arrogant walk and attitude. And the other is, they walk with their heads held up high. So in relation to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَمْشِ فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَحَا Do not walk swaggeringly, strutingly upon the earth, upon the ground. إِنَّكَ لَن تَخْرِقَ الْأَرْضِ You will never rip the earth. And nor will you ever reach the mountains in height. I.e., what do you think, you, you, what, what do you see to achieve by walking hard and stamping your feet? You wish to break open the ground? You will never rip the earth by holding your head up high. What do you think you will reach the height of the mountains? Never. And Luqman السلام, was advising his son. And as part of his advice to his son, what did he say? He said, وَلَا تُسَعِرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ وَلَا تَمْشِ فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَحَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ كُلَّ مَخْتَالٍ فَخُورٍ وَقْصِدْ فِي مَشِّكَ وَقْضُدْ مِنْ صَوْتِكَ إِنَّ أَنْكَرَ الْأَسْوَاتِ لَصَوْتُ الْحَمِيرِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to his son that in arrogance do not turn your cheek away from the people. Do not ever be proud and arrogant. Do not turn your cheek away from the people. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is said of him that when he used to meet someone, <clears throat> he would shake their hands. And he would never be the first to withdraw his hand from the clutch, from the handshake. And when he spoke to someone, he always faced them fully. There was not a hint of arrogance in his speech, in his appearance, in his behavior. Despite being the messenger of Allah, when he shook someone's hand, he was never the first one to withdraw. Allah. And when he spoke to someone, he was never from the side. He was never with a cursory glance. He was never in an arrogant manner with disdain and aloofness. Rather, he would face them fully. Look at them. Speak to them. And he would never turn away until the other person turned away. And that was a messenger of Allah. So Luqman alayhi salam said to his son, وَلَا تُسَعِرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ Do not turn your cheek away from people in arrogance. Or he, he just said, do not turn your cheek away. But that means in arrogance, like in that manner. 
And do not walk swaggeringly and struttingly on the ground. Verily, Allah does not like any. Mukhtalin fakhur. Mukhtal, one who swaggers. Fakhur, boastful person. Allah does not like any boastful person. Allah does not like anyone who walks with a swagger. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his musnad. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah relates this hadith. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man ta'adhama fi nafsih, aw ikhtala fi mishyatih, laqiya Allah wa hu alayhi ghadban. Whoever considers himself great in his soul and heart, or ikhtala fi mishyatih, or swaggers in his walk, he shall meet Allah whilst Allah is angry with him. Laqiya Allah wa hu alayhi ghadban. We should fear pride. And I'll come back to the commentary of this verse, but let me just mention one thing about kibr. A believer cannot really have kibr in one's heart. Because in many narrations, Prophet actually says in the same narration, in the same sentence and hadith, that whoever has a grain's weight, in some narrations, a mustard grain's weight of iman, faith in their hearts, they shall never enter the fire. Then immediately the Prophet wasallam adds, and whoever has a mustard grain's or a grain's weight of kibr in their heart, they will never enter Jannah. So what that means is, a person who has even a grain's faith in their heart, cannot have any pride. And anyone who has pride in their hearts, even a grain's weight, cannot truly have faith. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum feared kibr. And Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates that once the two famous companions, Abdullah ibn Umar and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhumah, they met at Marwa, one of the two hillocks, Safa and Marwa, in al-Masjid, well, near al-Masjid al-Haram. So, when they both met, they conversed, and then Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhumah left. And Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah remained standing there, weeping uncontrollably. So his companions asked him, what, makes, what happened? The two companions met, they conversed briefly, Abdullah ibn Umar left, and Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma was left standing weeping. What did he say to him? What happened? So his companions asked him, that, what makes you weep? So he said, he just told me that he heard the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam say that whoever has... A particle's weight of pride in their heart, he will not enter Jannah. And Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, upon hearing that, he just continued to weep. Standing there at Marwa, weeping uncontrollably. So going back to the verse, our arrogance displays itself sometimes in our speech, in our gait, in our mannerisms, in our way of walking. When we walk, 
if we walk with a swagger, that's a proud walk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns that, says, do not walk in that manner. Luqman alayhi salam advises his son, do not walk in that manner. For indeed, Allah does not like any mukhtar, swaggering person who walks with a swagger and struts about. And fakhul, someone who is boastful. Then, Luqman alayhi salam says to his son, waqsid fi mashik. Walk moderately. Be moderate in your walk. Waddud min sawtik. And reduce your voice, meaning reduce the volume of your voice, or suppress your voice. Indeed, the worst of sounds is the braying of a donkey. So Luqman likened excessive speech or loud speech to the braying of a donkey. Why? Because sometimes excessive speech or the manner of one's speech smacks of arrogance. And that's why in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi in his sunnah, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ مِنْ أَحَبِّكُمْ إِلَيَّ وَأَقْرَبِكُمْ مِنِّي مَجْلِسًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ أَحَاسِنُكُمْ أَخْلَاقًا وَإِنَّ أَبْغَضَكُمْ إِلَيَّ وَأَبْعَدَكُمْ مِنِّي مَجْلِسًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Prophet says, On the day of judgment, indeed, the most, some of the most beloved amongst you to me, indeed, some of the most beloved amongst you to me, and the closest to me in sitting, in gathering, on the day of reckoning, will be the best of you in manners. And verily, the most resented and detested amongst you to me. And the furthest away from me in seating, on the day of judgment, will be the those who talk excessively. Those who affect their speech, simulate their speech. And So the Sahaba said, O Messenger of Allah, we know who the uh, we know what a tharfarun is, meaning those who speak excessively. We know what al mutshaddiqun is, but we do not know what al mutfayhiqun is. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, al mutakabbirun, the arrogant ones. So let me explain the hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says, on the day of judgment. The most beloved amongst you to me, and the closest in sitting to me on the day of judgment, will be the best of you in manners and in conduct. And indeed the most resented and detested amongst you to me on that day, and the furthest away from me in sitting, will be, and in this particular hadith he says, three types of people. 
Those who talk excessive. Thar, 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 thar. That's the meaning of tartharum. Talking excessively. Yapping away. One of the reasons is that why does a person talk so much for? What do they have to offer? What do they have to share? When a person speaks a lot, inevitably, they will reap in that harvest of speech, ratb and yabis, dry, wet and dry, tayyib and khabith, good and bad, sidq wal kadib, truth and falsehood. So, speaking excessively exposes oneself to many dangers of lying, of gossip, of backbiting, of the sins of the tongue, of exaggeration, and of stupidity. That's why they say, let people think you're a fool, rather than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Excessive speech exposes oneself to great danger. And it's disliked. It's, it's, it's ill-mannered. That's why earlier on he says the best of you in manners. And here, those who are, speak excessively. But that's a milder part. <clears throat> those who affect and simulate speech. Shidq means jaw. And walmutashaddiqun means those who indulge in jaw-wrenching speech. What does that mean? Who affect speech? I, they speak merely to impress. So therefore they have to affect their speech. They have to simulate it. They have to actually work hard Choosing the right words, choosing the right accent, with dramatic effect. All of that simply to impress people. That's why the word is related to shidq. Shidq means jaw. So it's not natural speech. They have to affect it. They have to simulate it. They have to work their jaws. It's jaw-wrenching speech. Jaw-wrenching speech. And in Urdu, there's a very beautiful phrase when people speak about this, when someone affects speech, simulates speech, or acts in a certain way and speaks in a certain dramatic way, they say, Jabre par parke. Jabre par parke bolna. And that's exactly what it is, shidq. Shidq means jaw. So, those who move and rip their jaws while trying to speak in a certain way. I, and you know what's included in this? If someone tries to speak impressively, unnaturally, in an affected accent, simulated accent, that's part of this. If someone's not naturally a speaker with a certain accent, and they do it merely, not for comedic effect, not for comedy but, uh, or hilarious effects, but they do it in order to impress others. So they're trying to show themselves for what they aren't. They are included in the speech. Another aspect of Wum Tshaddiqun is those who aren't lewd or offensive of speech. So normally they don't swear. 
They are not rude or lewd in their speech. They're not vulgar. But sometimes when they get to get get together with others in company and everyone's talking in a bad way, they use phrases, slogans, they use words. Then to fit in with the group, not to be the odd one out, they will use foul, vulgar language like the others. So the person is not fahish, but he becomes mutafahish. So he's not normally lewd and vulgar, but merely to impress others. He or she actually affects and simulates vulgar, foul speech so that they can be part of the group. They do it to impress others, subhanAllah. That's included in the term, والمتشدقون. And finally, والمتفيهقون. So the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, we don't understand who the متفيهقون are, so the Prophet said, Al-Mutakabbirun, those who are arrogant. Those who speak arrogantly, praising themselves, boasting, or in an arrogant manner. Not only did the so not only does Allah dislike those who are arrogant in any way, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, such people are the most detestable and resented in my eyes. And they will be furthest away from me on the day of judgment. For Allah hates those who are arrogant and proud because they are challenging him in his exclusive attributes. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hates those who are arrogant, because it was the furthest away from his character. And being the messenger of Allah, he disliked anyone who challenged Allah in his attributes, exclusive attributes. And not, in fact, the Prophet ﷺ himself used to fear arrogance and pride, and he used to regularly pray the following dua. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud relates that the Prophet ﷺ Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates this hadith and so do others and Ibn Majah, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and Ibn Majah in his Sunan Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Abdullah ibn Masood radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ash-shaytanir rajim So not Imam Muslim, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Imam Ibn Majah Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ash-shaytanir rajim وَهَمْزِهِ وَنَفْخِهِ وَنَفْثِهِ And then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu explained what each of these words meant. So, he says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, Oh Allah, I seek your, pro- your protection and refuge in you from the accursed shaytan. And I seek your protection from hums, his touch, his whisper. Hums actually means prodding. And it could be physically. When we say the touch of the devil, we don't always mean physical. It's just mental. So wahamzih and his prodding. Wanafhih and his blowing. Wanafih and his Spitting. And then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says that the <coughs> prodding of shaitan is evil, is madness. 
and his blowing is and, and his spitting is poetry. Obviously, he's referring to undesirable poetry. Wanafhi and his blowing, which is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, arrogance. Because this is what arrogance is. Shaytan actually blows us. He blows into us. He inflates us like a balloon. Only for Allah to put down. So Iblis inflates us. He actually blows into us. And he makes us regard ourselves as being great. And we think and think. That's why in a hadith Rasulullah says, related by Imam Tirmidhi in his sunan and by others, that a man continues to be arrogant and carries himself away. Man carries himself away in his belief. Until he is recorded as one of the tyrants in the book of Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously will treat him accordingly. So man carries himself away and he continues to be arrogant until Allah records him in the book of the Jabbarin, the proud, arrogant, tyrannical ones. So Iblis does this, he blows into us, he makes us believe that we are grander and greater than we really are. And what happens? He inflates us, he bloats us. Iblis does that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam actually used to seek Allah's protection from the blowing of shaitan. And his spitting, this refers to spitting out poetry. And his touch, which results in madness or in delusion. There are, subhanAllah, so many verses and so many ahadith which speak about arrogance. How dangerous it is. And how arrogance can display itself in one's walk, in one's gait, in one's speech, in one's mannerisms, in one's belief. It could be hidden in one's heart. But even a mustard seed's weight of arrogance, even a grain of arrogance, even a particle of arrogance. And all of these words are mentioned in the hadith. But the best word to describe, all of them denote something being small and tiny, smallness. Whether you say habba, a grain, or habbatim min khirdin, or a grain of mustard, or whether you say dharra, dharra is particle, but dharra actually means the smallest thing known to man, which is an atom. That's why philosophically it was known as an atom, dharra, and chemically upon the discovery of the atom, even traditionally, the atom was known to the philosophers, but it was known as the philosophical atom. And then when it was discovered chemically and in physics, they took the same name and applied it physically. So traditionally, when there was no concept of the physical chemical atom as we know it, Philosophers used to discuss atoms and atomism. And Muslim philosophers used to discuss the same. So the traditional ancient 
philosophical atom was known as an atom, it was simply imported. The same name was used for the physical atom as we know it, which is the smallest particle known to man, and which itself has so much more within. But, and in Arabic, it's the same thing. Dharra means atom. And the Arabs, even in the desert, they wouldn't just use dharra to refer, they would use dharra to refer to the smallest thing known to them. Whatever was the tiniest thing, they would refer to it as dharra. Ant was known as dharra. And in the, in the shaft of sunlight, the particles that rise, the particles of dust, they were known as dharrat as well. So dharra simply means the smallest thing. So Rasulullah says, whoever has a particles, an atom's weight of pride in their hearts will never enter Jannah. Pride and arrogance blinds a person. They are unable to think straight. They become delusional. Throughout history, if we want knowledge, if we want faith, then the first condition is to remove arrogance from our hearts. Arrogance blinds a person. Blinds a person to knowledge. Blinds a person to the truth. This is how serious it is. In fact, ulama would refer to as kibr, as ummul amrad, the mother of all diseases, the source and the root of all diseases, just like it was the first sin ever committed by anyone, iblis. Kibr is destructive. It makes a person delusional. In fact, they, they can't see things for what they are. When a person is arrogant, they become delusional. In that delusion, they see truth for falsehood, falsehood for truth. If every sign is placed before them, they are unable to recognize it. Allah seals their minds, Allah seals their hearts. And they are unable to see reason, they can never see another person's argument. They can never see truth for what it is. And this is why throughout history, in the Qur'an as it's mentioned, all of the prophets of Allah, their opponents... Their persecutors, their adversaries, the ones who rebelled against them and who refused to believe in them, were always the mustakbirun, always the ones who were arrogant. That's a unique feature. Even Heraclius, we're going through the commentary of the hadith of Heraclius, we started it on Friday, and we will continue over the next few weeks on Friday, and he hasn't come up yet. Uh, but in, in mid-conversation, one of the questions that Heraclius asks Abu Sufyan is, who are the people who follow Muhammad, your, uh, this man who claims to be a prophet? Are they the nobility, or are they the lowly ones, the commoners? Did the noble ones of the people, the aristocracy and the nobility, follow this man who claims to be a prophet, or the weak, lowly ones? So Abu Sufyan said, the weak, lowly ones. And he was a disbeliever at the time. He probably thought that this will reduce the worth of the Prophet ﷺ if I can tell him that it was only the lowly, weak, impoverished ones who followed him. So Heraclius then later reminded him of this question and said to him, I asked you. Because Heraclius was not only a, an emperor, he was a scholar of the Christian scriptures. He was a devout Christian. 
And he knew the history of the messengers. He knew the Bible. So he said, I asked you, that did the nobility and the aristocracy follow him? Or the lowly, humble ones? So you said the humble ones. And this is the case with the messengers of Allah, that it is the lowly, humble ones who follow their prophets. Even he knew. And throughout the Qur'an, subhanAllah, almost every messenger who's been mentioned, it's mentioned that who are his opponents? The people of Ad. The Prophet Huda was sent to them. And as for the people of Ad, what did they say? The people of Ad, what did they say? As for Ad, they were arrogant upon the earth without just cause. And they said, Who is mightier than us in strength? Do they not see that that Allah who created them is stronger and mightier than them in strength? And they would reject our side. Arrogance leads to juhud. Kibr leads to juhud. Arrogance and pride lead to denial and defiance of the truth. And you can see that in almost with, with every prophet of Allah. The people of Salih alayhi salam, the people of Thamud, wa ila Thamud akhahum saliha. What did they say? Qal al-mala'u al-ladheena stakbaru min qawmih lil-ladheena stud'ifu لمن آمن منهم أتعلمون أن صالح مرسل من ربه قالوا إنا بما أرسل به مؤمنون قال الذين استكبروا إنا بالذي آمنتم به كافرون and the, and the people who were arrogant of his and those who were arrogant of his people of his nation they said to the weak ones who had believed amongst them that do you know that صالح has been sent by God so the weak one said, we believe in whatever he has been sent with. So the ones who were arrogant actually defiantly and sarcastically said to them, defiantly, what you believe in, we disbelieve in it. And after that they went ahead and humstrung the camel, the she-camel. So they were arrogant. This was the people of Thamud. Earlier on, the people of Ad, the people of Shu'ayb alayhi salam, they said exactly the same to him. قَالَ الْمَلَأُ الَّذِينَ اسْتَكْبَرُوا مِنْ قَوْمِهِ لَنُخْرِجَنَّكَ يَا شُعَيْبُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَكَ مِنْ قَرْيَتِنَا أَوْ لَتُعُودُنَّ فِي مِلَّتِنَا قَالَ أَوْلَوْ كُنَّا كَارِحِينَ And those who were arrogant of his people said, O Shu'ayb, we will banish you from our city, you and your followers. Either that, or you return to our, our religion. So they said, what, even though we are compelled? The Prophet Nuh, he told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and as Allah quotes him, وَإِنِّي كُلَّمَا دَعُوتُهُمْ لِتَغْفِرَ لَهُمْ جَعَلُوا أَصَابِعُهُمْ فِي آذَانِهِمْ وَاسْتَخْشَوْ ثِيَابَهُمْ وَأَصَرُوا وَاسْتَكْبَرُوا اسْتِكْبَارًا that, oh Allah, every time I called them and I invited them so that you may forgive them their sins, they placed their fingers in their ears. And what else did they do? 
They arrogantly swept up their clothes. And they were persistent in their disbelief. And they were arrogant with great haughtiness. This is a sign of all the people who opposed the messengers of Allah. They were arrogant. Verse after verse shows this. Uh, so much so that even if the truth comes before them, they refuse to accept. Speaking of Pharaoh and his people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Earlier on, Allah says, That we sent Musa and Harun with our signs. And a clear proof to who Pharaoh, to Pharaoh and his people in his assembly. What did they do? They were arrogant. Allah says, and they were a proud, arrogant people. So much so. We sent all these signs to them. Tufan, the storm, locusts, the lice, the frogs, the blood, ayatim mufassalat, clear signs. Still, they were arrogant and they were a sinful people. They refused to believe. And Allah says, so much so, that they actually believed that it was true, but their, and this was a case with many of the messengers, <laughs> their opponents knew that they were messengers, they knew that they were speaking the truth. They did not have genuine doubts, they weren't unconvinced. So, speaking of Pharaoh and his people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, they denied these signs of Allah, even though their hearts were convinced of them. Why did they deny them? Out of injustice and spite, most importantly, in arrogance, in high-handedness, in loftiness. So see what became the consequence of those who are seekers of corruption. And this was the case with all of them. Even the Messenger of his time, Allah spoke about many people. That they hear the verses of Allah, but they turn away. Arrogantly, obstinately, despite knowing that it's the truth. That's what arrogance does. And I mentioned earlier that every sign you see, every sign an arrogant person sees, still will not convince them. Allah says, I will turn away from my signs those who are arrogant upon the earth. Without just cause. So much so, that if they see every sign, they will never believe it. And if they see the path of righteousness, they will not adopt it. 
but if as a path, but if they see the path of waywardness, they will adopt it as a path. In another verse, كذلك يتبع الله على كل قلب متكبر جبار. In this manner, does Allah seal the heart of every arrogant, jabbar, tyrannical person? When a person is arrogant, they are unable to gain true knowledge. They are unable to recognize the truth for what it is. They become obstinate in their views, in their opinions, in their belief, and even in their behavior. That's why in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ اللَّهُ الْعِزَّةُ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ that when it is said to him, fear Allah, arrogance and sin seizes him. So, Jahannam is sufficient for him. And evil and abode it is. This verse is very telling. What it says is, Allah is speaking about a particular person who spreads corruption on earth. And then when it is said to him, fear Allah, rather than take heed, rather than pay attention to the good advice and counsel being imparted to him, the person becomes arrogant. He's more worried about who is speaking to him, why is he being spoken to, the manner in which he is being spoken to, or simply the person is so arrogant that they are not concerned about the wrong that they are doing, but they are more worried about how dare someone question me, how dare someone correct me. How dare someone advise me? So rather than change and rectify their behavior, they become more arrogant. And their arrogance actually leads them to becoming worse. And in fact, this could be true for anybody. Even as Muslims, even in our individual daily lives, if we misbehave and someone tries to correct us, Rather than recognizing our fault, realizing our mistake, and rectifying it, we are more incensed and indignant and offended that someone actually dares question us or advises us. And so rather than reverse our sin, we compound our sin. We make it worse. We add sin upon sin. And in our arrogance, we refuse to listen, we refuse to accept. Because we are blinded by our arrogance, Allah immediately then says, فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمْ Jahannam is sufficient for him. Meaning, nothing else is. Arrogance blinds a person in character and in mind. So they can't see truth for what it is, they can't see good for what it is, they can never see that they are doing wrong. In fact, arrogance makes a person so delusional they think everybody else is arrogant and they are humble. Many psychiatrists will tell you that, I know because they've said this, that a sign of insanity, a sign of madness, a classical symptom of madness and insanity is that the insane person thinks that everybody else is a lunatic. And they are saying, they think everybody else is mad. And they're quite fine. It's known in psychology as the projection of guilt. 
unable to cope with the reality of one's behaviour, one's character, one's true nature. A person shifts that character and that fault onto somebody else. And it's known as a projection of guilt, and it's actually mentioned in the Quran. Allah says, whoever acquires a sin or, an, or a crime or error, wrongdoing, then flings it on an innocent person. So they do wrong, they steal and say, he's a thief. They commit a crime and a sin and say, you're the one who's like that. They are mad and they say, you're mad. They're arrogant and say, you are arrogant. And what that does is that it totally disarms the other person. It leaves them confused. In psychology, this is also known as gaslighting. Where this is a reference to a film in which the person who's mad is living with a woman. What he does... Don't worry, I haven't seen the film. (laughs) I'm only relating to what I read about it. So what he does is... he's, He's suffering from psychological problem and a character personality disorder but his poor suffering wife partner in order to mask his madness and in order to conceal his character disorder what he does is that he engages in behaviour to actually make the other person question their sanity so what he used to do is go around the house and turn light up lanterns on and off and indeed the other person soon begins to question their own sanity and they do this in order to conceal their own character and their own behaviour so to conceal their madness they question you repeatedly and persistently until all the attention is deflected and they're no longer the subject of the discussion it's you You came to advise them and to help them, and now you're doubting yourself. You're actually doubting yourself. So it's known as the projection of guilt, and a more crude term is gaslighting. But the projection of guilt, that's what arrogance does. The arrogant think everybody else is arrogant. And that's what Pharaoh said to Musa, alayhi salam. He said to him, أَجِئْتَنَا لِتَلْفِتَنَا أَمَّا وَجِدْنَا عَلَيْهِ آبَاءَنَا he said to Musa السلام, what have you come so that you can turn us away from the religion of our forefathers that we found them on and <clears throat> and so that you can be arrogant on the earth subhanallah he who said الْأَعْلَى, I am your greatest lord and who also said, I do not know of any God for you besides myself. He who would force people to prostrate to him. He says to Musa alayhi salam, you have come in order to be arrogant on earth. That's a projection of guilt. That's what arrogance does. It makes a person delusional. And that's in the story of 
the uh, Surah Al-Kahf, I said I'd return to it later. That's what he did. With his wealth, he became delusional and said, look what I have. He said, do you know what? I don't think. مَا أَظُنُّ أَن تَبِيدَ هَذِهِ أَبَدًا وَمَا أَظُنُّ السَّاعَةَ قَائِمًا He says, I don't think any of this will ever perish or expire. And even if it does, I don't think the hour of judgment will come. And even if it does, I think that when I am returned to my Lord, I'll enjoy more there than I have here. And what happened with him? Allah destroyed his possessions for him to see there and then. Allah will break the arrogant one on earth. Just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will destroy them in the akhirah. Once the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they were racing with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and his camel was beaten. It was a very beautiful camel. And he was beaten in the race. And that was unprecedented. It had never been beaten before. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum felt a bit saddened and grieved that the favorite camel of our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was actually beaten in a race. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam consoled, it was his camel, but he consoled all of them. And he said to them, it is a duty upon Allah that nothing rises in the world except that Allah brings it down again. Every winner is a loser. Every gainer is a loser. Every down has its up and every up has its down. Every rise has its fall. And every fall has its rise. That's the nature of the world. Death and life. Good and bad. The coming and the going. The rise and fall. Pain is the other side of pleasure and pleasure is the other side of pain. That's the nature of the dunya. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, nothing rises except that Allah brings it down again. For Allah alone is Al-Ali, Al-Kabir, Al-Muta'al, the lofty, the grand, the high, Al-A'la, the greatest, the loftiest, the highest. All of these attributes belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing in his creation, no one in his creation that has a right to any of those attributes. Except if Allah temporarily bestows something upon them. So anyone who seems to be greater than what they are, what will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? Allah will destroy them in the akhirah, and Allah will break them in the dunya too. There are so many other ahadith, so many verses of the Qur'an, I don't wish to prolong this any further. I'll suffice with this. Speaking of ilm, and speaking of what I said about learning, and being unable to recognize the truth, Imam Abu Dawood and Imam Tirmidhi ibn Majah and others relate a hadith from Abu Tha'laba al-Khushni radiyallahu an, in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi What happened is that Abu Tha'laba al-Khushni radiyallahu an was asked by someone that how do you explain this verse in which Allah says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu alaykum anfusakum la yadurrukum man dalla idha htadaytum. That concern yourselves with yourselves. If you are guided, those who are misguided cannot harm you. So the apparent meaning of the verse, as understood by some, was that there's no need to tell people what to do, what not to do, i.e. enjoin the good or forbid the evil, advise people. 
encourage them, discourage them, persuade them to do good, dissuade them from ill. So the apparent meaning of the verse is, you know, don't be concerned about anyone else, just concern yourselves with yourselves. So one of the students of Abu Thalib al-Khushni radiyallahu an asked him. So he said, you've asked the right person. For I asked the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about this verse. And he said, لا بل اتمنوا بالمعروف ونهوا عن المنكر. No, you should enjoin the good and you should forbid the evil. That's not the meaning of the verse. You should enjoin the good and you should forbid the evil. Oh yes, there does come a time when you will have to stop. Which is, حتى إذا رأيت شحم مطاع وهوى متبع ودنيا مؤثرة وإعجاب كل ذي رأي برأيه فعليك بخاصة أمر نفسك. Prophet said, Enjoin the good and forbid the evil until you see. And then he mentioned four things. Shuham muta'a, greed which is followed. Hawam muttaba'a, desires which are obeyed. Wadunya mu'tharah, and the world being given preference in everything. And number four, bi-ra'yih. Each person's obsession and conceit with their own opinion. When you see that, then concern yourself with yourself and leave the people. Why? Because Ijaba And in another hadith, uh, in another narration, not to do with this, but in a completely different narration, the Prophet actually says there are three destructive things. There are three that are muhlikat, destructive traits. And they are shuhum muta' hawam muttaba' wa'ijabu kulli dhi ra'in bi Three of these four things. Greed which is followed, desires which are obeyed, and a person's being conceited with their own opinion. What's the meaning of being conceited or obsessed with one's own opinion? Quite simply this, that they are so proud, so smug and satisfied, so content with their own opinion, and so proud of it, that that arrogance, that pride, that conceit, blinds them to everything else. They are unable to listen to reason, to accept advice, to accept disagreement. They are right, and everybody else is wrong. The Prophet ﷺ says, when people are like that, then indeed, you're enjoining the good, you're forbidding the evil, you're encouraging them, you're persuading them, or you're discouraging and dissuading them, will have no effect. Because now they are blind, their hearts are sealed. Then you can concern yourself with yourself. Pride is destructive. It's destructive in the dunya. It's destructive for a person's akhirah. And it's destructive in just thought. Of course, if a person expresses it by words or in gait and mannerisms and walk, that's terrible as well. We have been told not to walk with a swagger. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others relate that the Prophet said, Allah will not look at, Imam Malik also relates this hadith, Allah will not look at a person who drags his clothes, his izar, his lower garment. Allah, in arrogance, whoever drags his lower cloth in arrogance, Allah will not look at them on the day of judgment. And in another hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, and in some, the wording is merged with the previous wording. A man was walking arrogantly, dragging his lower cloth in pride and arrogance. 
So Allah, and proud of himself, self-conceited, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened up the earth to swallow him, and the earth shall continue to swallow him, and he shall continue to fall in the earth till Yawmul Qiyamah. Because he walked with a swagger. This is what the people of Nuh did. What did they say? Musa, uh, Nuh alayhi salam said, every time I called them, so that you may forgive them, they stuck their fingers in their ears, and and they swept up their clothes in arrogance. We may not fully understand this phrase, but traditionally, it's like the longer a person's cloth, the richer they were. And there was a style where people of the nobility and the aristocracy, they used to have gowns and dresses, men and women, where the cloth would trail beneath and behind them. And this was a sign of their wealth and their richness. The poor had shorter clothes, and the rich had grand clothes. They wanted to display more and more of them. It wasn't enough just to see the beautiful cloth from shoulder to ankles. The people needed to see and display that cloth, that gown, for longer, so that it trails behind them. And sometimes they would have people holding it from the back. So this was a sign of pride, of wealth, of position, of arrogance. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's teaching was that you shorten the cloth. You do not let it drag behind you. And this is one, one of these people, uh, it's known as isbarul izar, meaning lengthening one's cloth. Allowing one's cloth to hang. This is why in salah, we need to ins- in fact the truth is is for both salah and out of salah we need to ensure that we don't allow our clothes to drag beneath our ankles or behind us in arrogance it's what's considered one of the great sins in islam of course only if it's done with arrogance but then for someone to say i am not arrogant says something itself abu bakr radiyallahu and his cloth his cloth was trailing behind him so someone pointed it out. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, You do not do this out of arrogance. But it's a very important thing. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, he was on his deathbed. He had been stabbed in Fajr Salah. And with that dagger. And the wound was so severe, it was a gaping wound, that they gave him milk. And the milk even seeped out through the wound whilst he was lying on his deathbed. So whilst he was there, bleeding, with any liquid given to him, pouring out and seeping out of the wound, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab began receiving visitors who rapidly came to him. A young man came to him, and he wished to give him glad tidings and make him feel better. So he said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, be joyful, be content, for Allah blessed you with the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and with the ability to become a Muslim at a very early stage. Then he blessed you with hijrah. Then he blessed you with the leadership of the Muslims. And then now shahada, martyrdom. So be, be joyful. It was a way of consoling him. What was Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu's reply? He said, I only wished that of this affair of leadership, I could come out of it straight, nothing for me and nothing against me. Equal. 
Then the young man rose and left. And as he was leaving, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab was lying on his deathbed, watching him walk away with a gaping wound, bleeding to death. And even at that stage, at that moment, he said to them, Bring this, he motioned to them, bring him back to me. So they returned the young man to him and Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab and why did he call him back on his deathbed? He said to him, Ya ibn akhi, O oh my nephew, irfa' izarak fa'innahu anqa li thawbik wa atqa li rabbik. He said to him, O oh my nephew, raise your cloth. It was dragging behind him. For it is cleaner for your cloth and more fearful of your Lord. Of great taqwa for your Lord. If this was trivial, why would Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu call back a young man and enjoin the good and forbid the evil, tell him what was good for him and advise him, whilst he's bleeding to death, raise your cloth, for it is cleaner for your robe and more fearful and of taqwa for your Lord. So that's just one display of arrogance. If it's done with arrogance. But to save oneself, one should avoid it altogether. So whether one displays arrogance in one's speech, and one's gait, mannerisms, or one's clothing, or whether one conceals it in one's heart, either way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the truth. And arrogance is destructive. We should fear it. We should force ourselves to be humble in as many ways as possible. Whoever is arrogant, Allah destroys them. Allah breaks them. Whoever is lowly and humble, Allah elevates them. And inshallah, this leads me to the next talk, which we will continue with next month, where I'll speak about humility. I'll also speak about practical measures or practical advice from the ahadith of how we can be humble, how the Prophet was humble, how the Sahaba were humble, so that we may be protected from this destructive disease of kibr, of pride and of arrogance. In fact, in the world, Allah does not tolerate ujb in any way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, لَقَدْ نَصَرَكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَوَاطِنَ كَثِيرَةٍ وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنٍ إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ فَلَمْ تُغْنِ عَنْكُمْ شَيْءٌ وَضَاقَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْأَرْضُ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ ثُمَّ وَلَّيْتُمْ مُدْبِرِينَ Allah says, Allah has assisted you in, on many occasions. And also on the day of Hunayn, when your great multitude pleased you. But then it did not save you or avail you in any way. And the earth became restricted and narrow upon you despite its vastness. Then you've turned around fleeing. This is a reference to a battle which took place, known as the Battle of Hunayn, after the conquest of Mecca, the Muslims had conquered Mecca with over 10,000 soldiers. They were now rulers of Mecca and Medina and many parts of Arabia. Everyone recognized their might and worth. From Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ left with those 10,000 and a few more thousand of the new converts in order to battle with some of the major tribes who lived close to Mecca in the regions of Ta'if and uh, the surrounding area of Mecca the Hawazin etc and the Thaqif so the Prophet ﷺ wished to battle with them I've covered this in the commentary of Bukhari
And the Muslims were huge in number, the great multitude, well over 10, 12, well, more than 12,000 people, fully armed. And they had just conquered Makkah al-Mukarramah. And some of the Sahaba, some of them looked around and thought and actually said, this day we will not be beaten for multitude. I.e., we are so many and so great a number of multitude that we will never be beaten now on this day. And yet what happened? Initially, they were set upon and they suffered a huge setback. So much so that the Prophet ﷺ was surrounded and there were very few people with him. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fought on with some of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. But it was a very testing time. Allah refers to that. إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ When your numbers pleased you. So since their numbers pleased them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimanded them and corrected them. And that was even when the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was with them. So in the dunya or in the akhirah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not tolerate. Allah does not tolerate pride and arrogance in any way. Allah breaks the proud and arrogant, and in the akhirah their reserved abode will be jahannam. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us from this destructive sin and disease, and I pray Allah makes us amongst those who are humble for his sake, so that Allah may elevate us with a true rank both in the dunya and in the akhirah. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com Produced under license by Alcotha Productions All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.